This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, what I love about this time of the year, although summer is my favorite time, what I love about this time of the year is the glorious colors that are visually out there. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today with our fabulous guest who is back for, I think, the third time, Mara Pearl, is that we're going to talk about the color of the voice. We're going to talk about the color of the dialogue. We're going to talk about the color of what's not said but it said. So Mara is an expert. She is a multiple, multiple award-winning author. She is the publisher of the Milford Haven books, which I call them the heart books, although they have done other books, what the heart knows. Um, And she will talk about those. But one of the things that Mara is doing that is so fabulous is that her books really came from a radio show, a radio drama that was huge in the UK and that she has done a conversion. So we may even get into how do you do those conversions and all of a sudden bring something back to life that no one ever even thought about. But that she has been able to take that and she also has created a conversion where she has a two-person play in Cambria, California, right now, right now. And I'm going to have her tell us about it a little bit later in the show because I've had the pleasure of seeing it. It's fun. It's fun. You laugh. And I was marveled at the ability to see all the changes of clothes. I don't know how many changes there are, but just with a scarf, just with an uptweak of a collar, just with the nuance, just with the pushback of hair behind the ear. Amazing things that visually you instantly knew we had transgressed to another time, another year. So with that, Mara, how are you? Great. Thank you, Judith. Well, you are uh, you you are on the stage at night for a couple of hours, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> and and so why don't we just go ahead and throw it on the table? Tell us, tell all our listeners the name of the play, and your co-star Christopher, and mm-hmm. where they can get the tickets. Yes, if well, it's there's a little jewel box of a theater called the Pewter Plow Playhouse, and their website is pewterplowplayhouse.org. This playhouse has been running here for, well, I think about 40 years, founded by a wonderful couple, Jim and Olga Buckley. Jim Buckley passed away just two weeks before we opened at the age of 102. (laughs) Mm. Wow. Maybe that says theater keeps you young, eh? Uh, Well, they do say that. I mean, look at your parents. (laughs) 
Yes, (laughs) you know, know? (laughs) right, right. My dad passed away two weeks before we opened this same play in Colorado, and he was 99, just two weeks shy of turning 100. So, Mm -hmm. yep, I'm going to subscribe to that theory that uh, (laughs) doing theater and understanding the dialogue, which we're going to talk about today, reveals wonderful secrets and makes your life so much richer and possibly longer, too. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think people understand the art of the dialogue. I mean, there's there's so many times when I read, you know, it's almost like he said, she said, he said, she said, he said, she yeah. said, he's, you know, and that people forget that part of the art of the dialogue is also be able to embrace and put yourself in the present, in the moment. How how do people really talk? I think they forget about that. Um, mm-hmm. How do, and people talk disjointed. They cut each other off. They do a variety of things um, that, uh, you know, I'd like to say that we all have such rich eloquence <laughs> in everything we do and say. And the reality, sometimes things stumble out. But to me, and that's why I, I love the topic of what you brought up, that the whole, uh, the subtext, and, and we'll just jump in and describe what that is, is how that actually speaks uh, a thousand words where vocally maybe ten words um, it, someone says, but it's the thousand unwritten, unspoken words that come out. Yes, Exactly. And this is true in good theater. It's good in, uh, when you notice it in uh, a well-written book. You, sometimes it's really fun to overhear something. I have an ear for dialogue and love it and have been writing it and paying attention to it really all my life. I'll tell you a funny story. I, I used to go sit at the farmer's market in L.A. with my yellow pad and my cappuccino and, and write. And occasionally I would overhear a conversation or a comment. And so one day there was a couple who appeared to have been married for 100 years, and they toddled over with their trays and sat down together. And she said, your sleeve. (laughs) She said, "Your, your sleeve is in your food. And he said, no, it's not. And she said, it would be if I didn't tell you. Oh, funny. Isn't that hilarious? And so, I mean, it was very funny, but it's very profound when you think about it. Because uh-huh. in those very few words, you could sum up years and years of marriage. Oh, yeah. She knows it. It happened before. She had yep. noticed it. She had mentioned it. And now it had gotten to the point that she was going to use just a little code word to prevent this thing that she thought might happen yet again. And my husband finds that so funny that now we have it as a code. We just look at each other and say, your sleeve. <laughs> oh, how funny is that? Well, you know, there is a, a um, commercial that's being aired right now on television. And I, you know, see, I can't even remember what the ad is. It's one of those ones, the duster stuff. And it's an older couple. Morty, Morty, and I don't know what her name is, but that they're they're saying that you're getting too old to climb up on stuff, and she's the one that's doing everything. And you know, by the time it's over, he's passed out sleeping in his chair, and she's still talking to him. But they have this dialogue going back, and that's that same kind of thing. That that mm-hmm. they know the past, therefore we know how you're going to respond and react. Yeah. So don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it, dude, or do that. Right. 
which, which, whichever. Mara, you know, before we go any further, um, I want you to, you, you mentioned the theater, but how do people get tickets, you know, to go, and, and what do they cost? Because I'm, I'm telling everyone, if you are in Cambria, which is, you know, if you know where the Hearst Castle is in Central California, you're up in that neck of the woods. Exactly. Uh, so it's halfway it, between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And it's right. It is quite near the Hearst Castle, and Cambria is a beautiful little town. Lots mm-hmm. of things to do here aside from seeing the play. Marvelous walks, great places to eat, um, wonderful shopping. So it's it's worth a little trip up here. The theater has the tickets, and uh, the play is called Sea Marks, and it was written by Gardner McKay. Now, interestingly, this very play is what brought me to Cambria in the first place 30 years ago. Uh, My co-star is Christopher Law, and my manager uh, suggested me for this part. Christopher knew the theater was looking for it, and he was looking for a co-star. So we shook hands, got in the car, drove up here, did a cold reading for the owners of the theater, and they said, oh, my gosh, we're setting aside our whole summer schedule and devoting it to this play. And we had we, we were a draw. We had audiences coming from San Francisco and Los Angeles. It gave each of us a big bump in our careers. Right after the summer here, I got a job on Days of Our Lives. And the, those two things combined in my thought, I had fallen in love with this little town, and I thought it would make a marvelous framework for storytelling. And then I fell in love with the longer form of storytelling in soap opera. So I called the radio station here in Cambria and asked if they'd be interested in having a radio soap opera. They said yes, and we launched Milford Haven, which is my fictional town loosely based on Cambria. So I've been coming here ever since to do my research and write my stories, which, as you mentioned, eventually we had this big hit on BBC Radio. That led to interest from publishers. But, of course, I had to learn a whole new skill. I knew how to write scripts and dialogue, but I had to learn how to write narrative voice, and that took a number of years. So, But here we are. I finally have best-selling novels that are based here in the Central Coast. So to be able to be here again, do this beautiful play, and of course during the day I'm having time to do my research and writing the next novel. So it's rather perfect. And so you have a great getaway. It's gorgeous there at this time of the year, and yeah. it's and it's and it's all tax deductible. I love it. I, I think it's. <laughs> I hey, I think it's perfect, Mara. I think it it's is. perfect. It really is. All right. So I mean, I I think that we're gonna we're we're coming up close to a break, but I want to um, it's, it's we're gonna get into the dialogue creation. We're gonna get into subtext. We're gonna get into all that for our listeners, and I think it's also important because you've already introduced it how you have made um, Cambria really a character in all mm-hmm. of your novels. I mean, it's really yeah. a part. It's part of your core um, yes. on that. You know, and, and the other thing I'd love to have you do is, as an actor, because you are an actor, is to really talk about um, uh, incorporating speaking, because you speak at writers' conferences all over the country, and yeah. that that how you incorporate 
the, the voice and the tone and the subtext and and also your own your choreographing of your your positioning even if you're behind a lectern what a, a a author can do to engage the audience i think that's all really important for everyone to understand mhm Be- because it makes well, a difference between book sales and non yes yes well everything is about connecting with your audience connecting with your reader the experience you want them to have is what you start to think about when you're presenting as an author. All right, and, and then with working okay. backwards from that, you go into the core of your message. All right, and with that, we have a few messages from our fabulous sponsors. This is Judith Riles. It's Author You, your guide to book publishing. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Many of us have dreamed of writing a book. Some of us even have. Then the hard work starts. You'll need an editor. Who will design the cover or typeset the pages? Who will format the ebook? If you're a business owner, consultant, or coach with a serious message and expertise to share, the team of experts at 1106design can guide you through the maze. They've helped more than a thousand authors create top-quality books and avoid the not-so-reputable self-publishing companies. Learn more at 1106design.com. Then call Michelle at 602-866-3226. 1106design. Is there a book in you or another? Author You will show you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out, you'll find a supportive and brainstorming community that's connected and creative no matter where you live. Author You brings in national experts for its book camps and annual author extravaganza held each May. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author You's extensive network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publish. The Resource, its online book publishing news magazine, is content-heavy and it's free. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, Author You is for you. If you're a hobbyist or a casual author, it's not. Join Author You today through its website at authoru.org. Follow Author You on Twitter at Author You and on Facebook at Author You, where timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted daily. Author You, where the author goes to become seriously successful. Impressions are everything in the world of book publishing. Whether your book is an ebook, a print version, or both, your book cover needs to pop, sizzle, and sparkle to immediately capture the attention of your audience. And your book's interior needs to be just as dynamic and reflect the professionalism your readers demand. Nick Selinger of NZ Graphics has won numerous national and international book awards for his cover designs and interior layouts. With over 20 years of experience in graphic design, he knows what it takes to create award-winning books and the many promotional pieces that authors need, such as posters, banners, postcards, one-sheets, business cards, logos, and more. Visit ncgraphics.com and see what authors and publishers have to say about their award-winning books 
and how NZ Graphics can make your book the success it was meant to be. That's nzgraphics.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All right, so we are now into creating amazing dialogue. Now, Mara's obviously talking about fiction, but I have been a huge, huge uh, proponent for nonfiction writers to get these stories into their books, to engage their readers, to, to as, as you're reading, whether it's a self-help, a how-to, a business scenario, a cookbook, whatever it is. Or that, especially a memoir. Absolutely, a memoir, yeah. a narrative mm-hmm. nonfiction. Absolutely, yeah. Th- that they have to learn how to really get. There's dialogue, there's storytelling, and how to really do it. So we have mm-hmm. a master, Mara Pearl, um, publisher of the Milford Haven Books, and that actress. She's been, you know, in the soaps for years. Um, she almost was in a lead role on Star Trek. <laughs> which I would have loved as another Spocky type person. Yes. And, yes. Um, and an and actress on live stage, which all of those are different skills, but they all, belo- you know, they all use the voice. They all use words. All the things that we authors do, whether fiction or nonfiction. So let's jump into this. What is subtext? We have used that phrase yeah. multiple right. times. Let's get into it. Okay, so dialogue itself is really divided into two types. You have the text, that is what the actors say or what the characters say, and then you have the subtext, which is what they don't say. And I like to call this whole process a treasure hunt. If you're an actor approaching material for the first time, you have to dig out these treasures. If you're the writer you have to bury these treasures, which is a more complex job in a way, and it's so much fun. And so we'll describe really exactly how to do this. So I find when I'm writing, I'll outline quite a bit. And as you start to tune into your story, whether it's fiction or, as we said, whether it's memoir or nonfiction, what I find is pieces of dialogue start to pop into my head. This can be an important process. Don't put it off. Stop what you're doing and jot down those snippets of dialogue. Very likely they, they will be keys that will help you as you go forward. So whether we're doing dialogue or whichever part of the text we're doing, we have a lot of things our text has to do for us. They have to tell us who the characters are, where we are, why we're there when the story is taking place, what the goals are, what the plot structure is, what the character develops. You have all this information that you have to let people know. So the basic rule is that you want to try to show, don't tell. Telling is where things can get boring, as you were saying, Judith, about Mm. blah, 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 back and forth, 
Mm-hmm. You want to try to show, show people's attitudes, show their location, show their motivation. So you have to drill down into your characters so that you know how they would see things and you know how they would talk. So now, why would a person not say what they mean? Lots of interesting reasons. They could be embarrassed. They could be afraid. They could be proud. They might think they are telling the truth. They might have an agenda. Let's say a character is driving along and pulls into a gas station and asks the attendant, is this Milford Haven or did I miss it? Well, if we're writing on-the-nose, quote-unquote, dialogue, the straight-ahead facts suggest the facts, the person would say, oh, it's 10 miles up the road. However, what if the character responding has some sort of agenda and says instead, you know, it's almost dark and Milford Haven is kind of hard to find and it's 10 miles farther. Why don't you stop here for a dinner? Now, if you're telling a mystery, then maybe the person offering and suggesting that you not continue up the road is a psycho and he's lured you into his trap. Mm -hmm. Or if you're telling a romance, maybe it's a cute woman who's trying to take the fancy to the guy asking directions and tries to get him to stick around. In either case, they're not saying exactly what they mean. They're saying something else. But we are getting what they mean from their vocal inflection, their body language, their attitude, right? Exactly. It makes the story more interesting because there's dramatic tension. There's a distinction between what is spoken and what is unspoken. You know, it's like uh, if you look at this ocean of words that you're writing, there are some things on the surface, but if you see the fluke of a whale, that's only a little bit of the size of that huge creature. And I mean by that what's swimming underneath the surface can be enormous. So, so it's similar to the whole iceberg deal, the yeah. very tippy top. You've got yeah. this, but 90% of it's underneath. So the subtext is not only what holds it up, but it can also totally redirect everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so examples of why people don't say what they, they mean. Well, for example, the examples we were doing earlier are about people who know each other very well. So they don't have to say very much. You know, the woman who's doing all the cleaning, or those people I overheard at breakfast, or the man says, uh, made it yet? She says, yep. And a minute later we see they're having coffee. We didn't need a whole bunch of words to get exactly what's happening. And then sometimes, in fact, I'm going to give like five points here. So that's one point where they know each other well. Another can be it's the context that makes it clear. So let's say that two people are at a tango party, and the man looks at the woman and says, shall we? Well, we know exactly what that means, and we can see it in the action of the two characters. A third one is irony. And in this case, the text and the subtext would be exactly the opposite of each other. And this can make for a very tense scene, which is good. 
So let's say somebody says, how are you? And the person replies, great. But what you realize has just happened is that the person's dog has died or they've just been fired, right? So they're not great at all, but they say, great. Which and is so what they say, which is what people commonly say anyway, even yeah. though they're, you know, they're bleeding emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. So they I'm have fine. reasons to conceal, <laughs> you know, yeah, exi- that, that's right. They say they're fine. And there might be a situation where a character is emotionally unavailable. This would be the fourth point. So now let's say the character has PTSD. There's some part of them that's emotionally damaged and shut down. So they're not able to express their actual feelings. That could be a very good reason why they don't say what they're thinking or feeling. And a fifth example would be just keeping a secret. And in the story that you're writing, maybe the person is really good at keeping secrets and no one would know. But then maybe that person is terrible at keeping secrets. It's already written on their face. Mm-hmm. Either way, when you plant in that character that they have a secret, it makes the story richer and more interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and so many stories are riddled with secrets. So yeah. many families are riddled with secrets. Memoirs yeah. have secrets all over the place. Right. You right. know, I, I can't think of any time when I've worked with a client on a memoir type thing or they're bringing out an event that the fear factor of what other family people will think when mm-hmm. some of this comes out um, it always amu- amuses me amazes me and sometimes appalls me yeah oh yeah uh, it, when they finally rumble them out <laughs> well in fact I'm, I'm the book I'm writing now is called why hearts keep secrets and it's all about the secrets that keep, people are keeping in Milford Haven. So, yes, I know what you mean. It's, um, <laughs> it's rich. So, so then you have to decide, like, for on this, your next book in the series is, you know, how many, how, what is the ladder of secrets? How, and, and how many are so interconnected or how many just stand alone and mm-hmm. are exclusively characteristic to that one person or couple or whatever it is or location? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or how many actually are so connected that it's almost like a stack of dominoes going over? Exactly. And how does that secret affect someone's behavior they're afraid Mm -hmm. to move forward because if they do it'll reveal that they know this thing they're not supposed to know oh exactly so it's it's like hello murder on the orient express (laughs) right (laughs) exactly oh oh, the webs we can weave all right Mm -hmm. so that's perfect so those five ways of of how you can use it really do bring a book a play, a movie, a writing, a live. And, and I think that you know, one of the things I've always recommended um, to people is to get a hold of a good screenplay. And you get them for free all over the place. Get all of a screenplay, a movie that's out there, and really study how that structure mm-hmm. comes together, and that's you'll see it. That's a great idea. Yeah, Yeah, I do that. All right, we're going to come right back. We'll get more into it. Mara Pearl is with us today. We're talking about writing. And next month is a huge month. We're going to jump into what's going on. It's National Writing Month coming up.
your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Since 1987, Color House Graphics has set the standard for quality book production. Whether you decide to print a small quantity of books or need a large print run, depend on Color House to help you. You'll receive professional help and advice the moment you reach one of our representatives. If you mention hearing about us on your guide to book publishing with Judith Bryles, we will provide you with discount on the first order you place. To speak with a project manager, call us toll-free at 800-454-1916 or visit us at www.colorhousegraphics.com. Ned Thompson and Harry Shore started Thompson Shore in 1972. They believed employees with great character would make up the best company. They were right. They hired people who were not only experts in bookmaking, but who were obsessed with quality and delivering exceptional customer service. Almost 40 years later, Thompson Shore remains a 100% employee-owned company. Ned and Harry knew that successful customer projects are a direct result of empowered employees. We specialize in all books for large and small publishers. Creating beautiful and well-made books, we're dedicated to pleasing our customers by making the experience a good one from start to finish. The personal touch we have with our customers allows us to be innovative in solving their most difficult challenges. Our platform also ensures that we can remain flexible to meet our customers' unique needs and expectations. Our marketing kit can create buzz for your title, enhancing the promotion of your book during infancy. When you need to test the market to gauge your future sales, we can provide digitally printed books that will transition seamlessly into a larger offset run. From ebook to hard copy to delivery, our skillful customer service teams are at the ready to answer your most pressing questions. At Thompson Shore, we know that making the highest quality books requires more than just best technologies. It requires superior customer service, professionalism to the trade, and commitment to environmental and social values. With these standards of excellence in place, you can be sure that we will always help you put your best book forward. Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Okay, here we are. We are talking all kinds of things on the side, but um, Mara's been talking about the voice and how to use the voice and the writing on that, and the, the five ways of evolving that. But there's other things that come into place besides speaking and words, and that's called the body. So let's jump into that, Mara. How, yeah. what, what about that side of that? Well, when people are not communicating with their words, you know, then how, how do we communicate? And we, we do a lot with um, body language and voice. So there are, for example, just simple things like hesitation in our speaking can speak volume. There's uh, reluctance. There are glances, meaningful looks. 
nervous laughs, tears, all these things a writer can place and embed in the text. So it's either in the character description or it's part of the dialogue so that the reader gets what's going on with that character. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll have someone walk away. Sometimes they're sitting, but they're all bound up. Their arms are crossed. Their legs are crossed, meaning that they're closed. They're feeling closed to whatever the person is telling them. They're resisting it. Sometimes the character will stand strongly, legs slightly apart in a way that indicates that they can't be pushed over. So you want to infuse the entire body of the character with the attitude that goes with the underlying attitude, the subtext. And it's especially powerful if it's in opposition to what they're saying. So if someone's sitting there in the chair with arms crossed, legs crossed, and they're saying, you know, gee, I had a great time, I'd love to see you again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) We know that's not exactly what they mean. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, like in a cold day in hell. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just, it's really interesting to really do your homework. And when you write a character description, drill down as much as you can into how they feel about their work, how they feel about dating, how they feel about their spouse, how they feel about food. Some people lean into their food and it's Nothing else is on their mind while they're eating. They're just loving that experience of eating. Some mm-hmm. people peck at their food and barely, you know, they just push the food around on the plate. All these motions and actions, these are like tells, you might say, um, the term that's used in card games. <clears throat> yes. And those tells are, they really speak volumes and make your writing a lot richer. Well, you know, I'm going to go back and tie into what I was exiting with on our break here about movie scripts. If you when you get if you get a hold of a screenplay, you will see the breaks between the dialogue, which sets up the scene. And that's what the director looks at. And then they start using their noodle and, you know, how they're going to create all this. But it gives all it gives those tells. Mm hmm. Yes. Right. And then. Something to think about is the relationships that are going on at this any given moment in your story. So I'll just give some examples. I think I have about six here. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you're early in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, when a relationship is new, especially a romantic one, the code between people hasn't been figured out yet. So he says, after the first day, he says, well, I had a great time and I'll call you. But then he doesn't call. So then she has to figure out, well, what does that mean? (laughs) Does it mean he didn't have a good time? Does it mean he just got really busy? Does it mean he suddenly accepted an assignment overseas and they have no cell service? You know, and so she might be talking to her girlfriends trying to figure out what it means that he didn't call. And that's all about subtext because it's what isn't said. Then we have late in relationships. And I saw recently a wonderful film called An Unfinished Life with mm-hmm. Robert Redford and Morgan Freeman, who are playing long, long-time friends. They're such good friends. They've worked together for years on a ranch. 
and it's like they're brothers. And then on top of that, they're both cowboys. So now they have two reasons barely to talk at all with words. You know, it's the, it's like, yep, nope. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. But, but, but they know what they're so, saying that because they they've do, been and, with each other so long. Yes, and we know, we know the, the, these actors are so good and uh-huh. the dialogue is so perfectly written that we uh-huh. understand a great deal about they are so loyal to each other, they would do anything for each other. Um, it's a profound relationship. It's a lifelong relationship. And all of this is communicated through the subtext, certainly not through the text. You would never have these two characters sitting there saying, hey, man, you mean a lot to me. I mean, no, no, no. That, no audience would, would believe that. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we have inauthentic relationships, people who are not who they claim to be. And in this case, you might have someone who's really a grifter, you know, a con man. Um, or you might have someone who has to conceal something. Maybe their job, they're an FBI agent and they're undercover. Or maybe they're protecting someone else, withholding who they are because they, the other person is in jeopardy if they don't. And so, once again, you're dealing with all kinds of subtext. And then you have supportive relationships. Um, again, my husband and I have a funny example. Um, he calls this master perplexia. And this is like when, when the wife says, does this dress make me look fat? Well, it's a no-win, right? If he says no, well, she may not trust him. But then again, if he says yes, she may never speak to him again, or she may throw out half her clothes. So it's not about the word, right? It's all about the subtext. In fact, uh, the example for me, this is, this is not informational dialogue. It's more like thrusting a thermometer into a roast. You know, it'll tell you how hot it is, <laughs> but it won't tell you much else. Mm-hmm. So those are interesting and come up in the context of these kind these their supportive relationships um, where what your what the goal of the character is is to support the other person and sometimes you can't do it with logical words. Okay, then another example is out of sync relationships. Let's say one person's in love but the other isn't. And so, once again, to try to protect the other person, not let them know exactly how you're feeling, you say things that are not exactly what you mean, and that's what the whole subtext is about. Or you say what you think the other person wants to hear. And then um, the last example, the sixth that I have, is about abusive relationships. And in this case, the subtext is all about survival. So the language that that a victim will use is all designed for survival. It's not for real communication. So every word or expression or action is very carefully weighed to give the victim the best chance to survive that immediate situation. Now, the situation might appear benign, like let's say two people having dinner around the kitchen table. But if we know the subtext is that there's abuse here, then it can, it can, anything can be explosive. Let's say he says you forgot the bread. 
Well, if it's a normal relationship, then he, she might say, oh, that's right, let me get it. However, if it's the context here is abuse, she might leap up from the table and dash to the sideboard and bring it back to the table quickly enough to almost pretend she hadn't forgotten it. And why is that? So that she won't spark another incident where he's angry and abuses her again. Or, so or she could know, in, in the, yeah, or she could know in that case, she better brace herself because she's going to get whacked. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you have, you look at cause in dialogue, what causes people to do things, what causes them to say things, and there are layers and levels. So there's the immediate situation, which let's say is the instigating cause, but then there's the predisposing cause, which is the entire background leading up to that moment. And when you're the writer, you need to be aware of both of those. And and how how long does it take to master something like that, Mara? Because it's something that you see that you, you certainly see that in more experienced um, uh, fiction writers, but I I don't see a lot of that in or, or I think they maybe go overboard in the mm-hmm. beginning writers. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you could put a time on it exactly, but what I would say, like most things, it takes practice. So you could give yourself an assignment. You know, a writer could say, well, for the next month, every television show that I watch, every movie that I watch, every book that I read, I'm going to look for subtext and see if I can start identifying it and see where it's done well and see where it isn't done well. Generally... If you're hearing dialogue and it's very dull, there isn't enough subtext. And that's so usually that's, the case um, you know, on it. So I, I think that, yeah, one of the things, we're, we're, we're coming up to our final break here, but I think one of the things is to come back to, because I, I am always, I have to say it, I'm amused when people gloat how they don't, some don't read, a lot of people don't read. Um, I don't watch TV, I don't do that. And I, I often say, now, gee, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. You are missing so much. And it just is a learning experience in what you're saying. That's it. So we'll come back to that. I'm Judith Bryles. It's author you, your guide to book publishing. My guest today is Mara Pearl. And we're talking about how to be fabulous in your writing using dialogue. is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles and we'll be right back with more great information right after these the book shepherding concept is simple the publishing world is changing and so must you You need an experienced shepherd and a guide to partner with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand, and is a financial success, a bestseller. It's your choice. You choose. You need the book shepherd. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You don't need problems. You want solutions. 
Dr. Judith Bryles will shepherd you through the maze and the chaos. At times, she's had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher or by a publishing service provider or sometimes even the author themselves. Judith Bryles is the book shepherd. If you want to create a book with no regrets, give her a call today. 303-885-2207. That's 303-885-2207. Or email her at Judith at Bryles.com. By the way, Bryles is spelled B-R-I-L-E-S. Follow Judith on Twitter at My Book Shepherd and on Facebook at The Book Shepherd. At Total Printing Systems, customer service is our priority. We are located in Southern Illinois. Our employees have an average of 18 years' experience and know that customer relationships are important to our continued success. We have been a short-run book printer for nearly 40 years and always stay at the forefront of technology. Our niche is from 1 to 5,000 copies. Today, we offer digital black and white and four-color high-speed inkjet printing, a cost-effective way to introduce color into your short-run titles. We, of course, offer traditional offset printing as well. Bindery is done in-house, from adhesive case binding to PUR perfect binding to mechanical binding of all types, including side sewing. We provide warehousing, kitting, distribution, inventory management, a new print-on-demand facility, streaming browser-based ebooks, and bookstore. Call us at 1-800-465-5200 for a quote on your next book project. You can also visit our website at www.tps1.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All right. So we have gotten so many really great tips from a multiple award-winning author, an actress, a radio, successful radio host, star at BBC, um, that created a phenomenal series from her book and from her from from her a radio drama that later into books and into a play type of thing. And what she's talking about is really creating the dialogue that you will literally, you know hook, line, and sinker, whether it's a reader, whether it's a viewer, whether it's a listener, all those kind of things that you want to do. Because today's author has to think that we have print reading, we have audio, and in some cases that, you know, we've got certainly some of our author you members are transitioning their books into screen and film, which is very exciting to do that. And Mara basically is doing all those things. And so we have a master um, with us today. And so, Mara, we've, we've gone through, you know, the, the and we I, we I think we need to close up on the treasure hunt because this is a treasure hunt. And what it I was is. saying. And, yeah, I you know, think that there's no avoiding the need for doing your homework. But uh, rather than feeling like homework is drudgery, 
feel like your homework is a treasure hunt. So for the next whatever set period you want to establish for yourself, whether it's a month or whether it's the next year, every time you watch, whether it's a sitcom, a murder mystery, whether it's a novel you're reading, a memoir, just start identifying for yourself, this is text, this is subtext. Here's where they're saying exactly what they mean. Here's where they're not saying what they mean, but they're speaking volumes in other ways. And what are those other ways? And start to identify them. You know, you can and, gain mastery of this with practice. And, and then you start integrating it and incorporating it in your own thing. And as I said just before, as we are transitioning to break, that I am always amazed when people back away that they take almost pride. It's a badge. Oh, I don't watch TV. My God, I love TV. <laughs> there are shows that I watch because I, I, I've you st- you learn to start studying them, and you see when those plot points come up. You see where the breaks, and you say, "Ah, oh, no, this is what's going to happen." Because you start, you're able to read in with that body body language or that line. This is where it's going, and you'll discover more times than not as you study it and you do this treasure hunting you're right on target and it will help you as a writer it really will and you know even if it's as useful to watch a bad show as it is to watch a good one of course it is you still want to identify you know why it's not working Mm-hmm. And, and then let me add on one other thing that because I spent 30 years on the platform as a speaker all over the world that I would uh, identify because and I was speaking last the last 20 years of it I was predominantly speaking to healthcare related communities uh, nurses doctors dentists that kind of group and they had each group uh, industry each niche has its own favorite shows that they gyrate to you know oh, they read yeah. and they go to so in my case it would if, if it was right now it'd be it would be you know the doctor related shows Grey's Anatomies it would be uh, some of the other ones that are coming along but ER was one of the big ones and mm-hmm. I had scenes memorized that I would use and I would tie them into key points within my presentations oh, that that's great that that people in my audiences would actually shout out and recite lines with me (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah Yeah. so well you know it's through story that we come to understand our lives mm -hmm. it's that important i know some people think oh well it's sort of optional it's not the Mm -hmm. crux of life but i think it is Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. what are we doing here and why are we doing it that's important so that our lives stay on track and well, story I, I, is a lens as through which we can really see the depth of what's going on. I, 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 I totally agree with you, and I, I think that uh, Joseph Campbell illustrated that so powerfully with the story of you know the myth and and yes, the power of the myth, um, yeah. which was all about storytelling and the, the transition and going. And I and I remember Mara, you you met Rabbi Schultz who was one of my clients, and he flew out from Boston and spent three days with me as we worked on his book. And, and, and we got the book done, which he thought was going to be his last book. But, and I said to Joe, um, it's not. There's one more. And I actually went and bought a copy and gave it to him of The Power of Myth. 
And I said, I want you to read it as you fly back because this is your next book. This guy was like a mini Yoda. This little, you know, Jewish rabbi that had the most amazing presence and the most amazing stories. And I said, you have the book that I want to see you structure. And he went back and what came out of it was, you know, the, the, the his conversations book. And I said, you get one of your kids or you get someone in the synagogue or someone. I just want them to ask you questions and let you start talking and explain what's going on because and, and uh, you know the, the conversations of a higher wisdom i think is the, the name of the book that came out mm, it's fabulous lovely, yeah. yeah and and those are the kind of things that happen but they're stories they're the stories yeah. that that the, the metaphors that bring everything alive and you go ah oh, i get it i get yeah, it and you see something in yourself that you go oh that's why i couldn't make sense of that at the time or yes. this is the guidance I've been looking for. Now I know what I would really love to do. This kind of guidance, a lot of it is available through our story. And that's the power. That's the power. Yeah, so as an author, I think all of us need to understand we are sitting on a mega load of power. We Our words can heal we can humor, we entertain, we move things forward, we get people thinking. We can change, but we have to learn that we use them in so many different ways mm-hmm. and styles. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. look at the arc of this. You know, this, this play attracted my attention. It didn't make mm-hmm. much sense logically, but my heart told me I needed to do this play. Mm-hmm. It brought me to a region which would become the foundation of all my story writing. Who knew I would wind up as the first American radio drama ever on the air on the BBC? Who knew I would have millions of listeners? Who knew that would lead to the development of writing my novels, which is something in my heart of hearts I always wanted to do. So all this fulfillment and understanding and sharing and touching other people and helping them and inspiring them, all began with responding and resonating with a good story. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the other side of this, that where a lot of people, um, I mean, you and I are both boomers, um, that it, it, neither you or I have any inkling in our eyes of this word called retirement. Oh, no. <laughs> What's, what in the hell is that? What is that? <laughs> yeah. And, and the reality is, is that when you start really using your um, wise words, these your your learn words, your stylisms, the uh, you go on those treasure hunts. No age is required here. There, there's no limits. There's no floor. There's no ceiling. It's just you start the journey, and those can carry you on into literally, whether you say perpetuity or infinity, but until you really want to stop. And I mean, look at the authors that have been had very successful careers. They literally write until they drop. They Mm -hmm. speak about their books until they drop. Actors are on the stage until they drop. Yes, it's a beautiful flow that supports us as we go forward it's you really catch the wind 
in your sail. But in order to do that, you've got to build your boat and you've got to put your sail up and learn and- something about navigating and, you know, capturing uh, the flow of the water and the air. And mm-hmm. those things come from, as you said, the wise words. There are people who have gone before us who can show us the pitfalls and show us the successful routes. But but the thing that's also important here is that you need to seek them out and you need to really be an observer, a viewer of their films, if it's film you're doing, if it's if it's books, you read, 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 read. I was working with an author, he who writes horror, and I said, well, tell me who you follow, what do you, he says, well, I really don't read, and I said, well, you're going to fail. You have to, you have to follow these people and watch how they evolve their craft. But you're so because, exactly right, and you also, you can't be satisfied with the surface of things. I mean, this play... This is the fourth full production we've done of this play. I'm still finding new material in the text. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. something I figured out this time around, there's a moment when my character, Timothea, and the male character, Colin, where they finally meet for the first time. They've been writing letters for a year and a half. Nothing is more important in this moment than meeting each other. So the dialogue is, he says, at last and she says what and i thought now wait a minute wait a minute that doesn't make any sense she couldn't possibly be distracted by anything she's only focused on him why would she not hear what he said Uh oh and we're gonna we're gonna have to get the rest of the story come to the play and find out I go to the play or plan on being at the extravaganza next year, yeah. September 15th to 17th, and you'll see it in person. This is Judith Bryles. Thank you, Mara Pearl. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Each